Quiet Tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it I know you can't get enough At home, at work It don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes You know what's up, hey. uh, Rising from the ashes Yo everyone, welcome to Rising From the ashes. ashes That was a good one, I like that one, Roman Thank you, Thank I'm you. Dan I Dan. Oh, I'm the homie Romy um, What's good? Hello Hello Hey <laughs> looking at moths uh a little couple announcements is uh go check out the motherfucking patreon check it we got seven members right now yeah uh, we just got another new member morgan thank you morgan and she committed to donating ten dollars a month for a three dollar subscription so thank you very much morgan we appreciate it and um also i uh, dropped a new episode with slick dissident and i also have another one coming out with benjamin ballerson and episode two of the deep chill with andy so there's going to be a lot more shit coming out that way and i know roman's been busy as a motherfucker because i've seen the calendar so what else what you got going on with the patreon bud well unfortunately yesterday i was suffering from a uh a self uh endued dehydration sun poisoning whatever the f you want to call it <laughs> ridiculous to let myself get to that point anyways i missed two incredible interviews that i had lined up for yesterday um but uh but yeah we're going to be chatting with elsie king and in, in resonance the earth battery system and uh uh clive de carl uh, we got a cool guy uh ryan singer who uh, is a comedian and a podcaster and who does uh research on fulcanelli and yeah man it's it's going down and uh it, it's always going down baby we got a stuff full of gravy crepes over there for you guys i'm talking yeah. butternut squash biscuit loaf coming at you with that sweet trophy of absolute valor that you're going home swinging that sword that crispy bacon sword of <laughs> sweet dripping fat catching a flame the whole trail way you're gonna trailblaze your way home baby uh, you're gonna shine like toast the light. shield oh stop bacon sword <laughs> avocado toast shield slap them together yeah man and you and you break the sun which is the, an over easy egg fucking hipster blt right there <laughs> <laughs> that's a hipster black table <laughs> uh also uh yeah it, it, if any of you guys on the patreon have any recommendations of people that you'd like to see roman or i interview uh please uh you pay so let us know if you want to see us interview any specific people and we'll try to get a hold of them and get on that and also we have the sultry Sunday slow, slow burn. We don't know if it's going to be Patreon exclusively or if maybe possibly we can get on 
somewhere else. Don't oh, say it. Shit. Don't say oh, it because it hasn't even really been talked about too much. So, but we are in contact, and it might slide through. If it does, we're gonna be doing it on there. Uh, and if not, we'll do it on here, and we'll yeah. we'll we'll do it specifically for you, beautiful babies, and uh, wondrous babies. That is, uh, uh, yeah. Anyways, I was going to say, uh, Kaylee, who is also an amazing Patreon subscriber and a weaver, uh, we're going to be doing, she's going to be reading my birth chart soon and we're going to be talking about some more astro stuff. So oh, there you go. Thank you, Kaylee. You're fucking great. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. If any of our Patreons do have, uh, talents, please share. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Bruce Torres one. I know you guys got talents. My mama. I'll get my mama on again. Oh, shit. Yeah, I know. My, me and my mom were talking about doing an episode of uh, um, Cursed Souls in Our Family. So, Ooh. like, yeah, we have, a, we have a lot of, like, people who are doomed for their fate in our family. So wow. my, mom's, my mom's got some insider stories on that. One of them she hasn't told me. It's about my, my real pop. So oh. I was like, save that juice for the air. Wow. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, yeah. And then on uh, the Sunday slow burn, we're going to, um, it's going to be a live Sunday show. We're going to just, uh, do some like news articles, you know, like screen sharing cool shit. I'm going to yeah. have like 70 tabs open going weird. <laughs> we're just going to talk about some news article and stuff in the news of discoveries and, science and technologies and ancient past ancient civilizations and then you guys can call in and or write in or whatever and ask us questions and you know that type of shit we also might there might be a patreon group show in the future for anybody that's on the patreon uh we'll just show up and maybe not even record it but just talk to everybody that's on the patreon and uh that would be after we get going recorded also but if you guys have questions and well it'll just be an open forum of you know have you checked this out and we'll have a discussion with everybody on there um that's it in uh in rfta news but let's get into real rfta news rfta News. News you can trust. Angel dust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Sprinkle some of that angel dust on me. What you got? Well, this was an absolutely great uh, interview. I think it's natural for us to need to reflect back on the spiritual side of things. You know, uh, yeah. diving into the past to understand lost civilizations and the many entanglements of the alchemical energies that create our consciousness in order for the proverbial pot to boil and create the perfectly delicious balanced flavor in our interpersonal relationship to religion or spirituality. And oftentimes when there is no severance in all the theological and philosophical texts, we use the layers of the animal kingdom to either symbolize or reference important spiritual and potent moments. You wrote all that? Yes. Wow. There's massive list of legendary and plagiarize all that. No. Okay. 
And geez. Okay. I haven't <laughs> gotten to the, I, I have pulled, there was a couple things that pulled from some websites. Anyway, <laughs> you're, you're ruining the flow here. Okay. Uh, there's massive list of legendary and mythic birds riddled throughout history. Tonight I'll focus on two, the blackbird crow and the raven, the three-legged crow, the three-eyed raven, and the phoenix, the Bennu bird, the thunderbird, thoth, or the cinnamon bird. Birds are generally considered. Are we le- out with a cinnamon bird? Is that a song? <laughs> cinnamon girl. Oh, I was like, ooh, man, that was so cool. <laughs> we could, we could make a, we could make like a cool, like weird owl. Uh, Yankee yeah, Witch we album. could, dude. That'd be hella fun. That'd be great. Uh, okay, birds are generally considered a link between the earth and the heaven. Yeah, and symbolic of transcendence and eternal life. With their ability to roam the earth as well as soar up into the sky, birds symbolize freedom. Meanwhile, their proximity to the heavens may made them seem as messengers of the gods. As a result, sighting different birds came to be regarded as good or bad signs, with their appearance being like indications from the god, either or. And most times when we're speaking in a spiritual sense, if you're aura attracts and holds space for a bird on the team when they appear there will be a big shade shade of enlightenment and the beautiful movement of transition now speaking on this way of understanding when you are in tune with your mind body and spirit the trismegistus or thrice great the holy trinity of our existence and you are asking or seeking guidance from the earth and alignment or meditation peace this is when these animal spirits will likely show themselves and when you're ready to see it and feel it and allow the alchemical understanding to take meaning blackbirds or of the corvidae family are renowned as some of the most associatable birds in the magic and occult theologies. This is often because of their complex behavioral patterns. The appearance of the behavior of the male blackbird is distinctively unique. And when you study it closely, it's easy to understand why they symbolize the guardians of sacred knowledge, wisdom, and the mystery. The blackbirds point to the tower of human intuition when the blackbird perches into your life your level of intuition will attain spectacular levels indigenous native mythology is a mischief maker oftentimes the blackbird among the northwest coast first nations the raven is symbolic as a trickster and initiates the first salmon run of the season through this varies different tribes across the nation the raven was often called upon to clarify truths and visions as the wise elders knew that the eyes sees not always the truth. Many people of the Pacific Northwest coast refer to him as the helper to the creator. Hmm? And it is believed by some messages that the creator of the cosmos are buried in the wings of the raven, only to be released to the families most deserving of this knowledge. The raven is a long-distance healer and is known to be the keeper of secrets. He helps us in our lives by exposing the truth of keeping secrets that could potentially harm us. In doing so, he helps us back to good health. The raven was only ever feared if misused. And I think this is held true in the pagan roots, um, you know, with Odin as well and Norse mythology. They hold the blackbird in very high regard, and obviously the roots of creation run deep in the northern brethren as hyperborea yeah. fragmented out as deeply seated intelligence into the culture of the time they are likely to hold the understanding and be the creation of alchemy it's potential but not recorded anywhere 
uh, I'm just speaking from an intuitive standpoint. In my understanding, the Hyperboreans were a lot more powerful than the mainstream narrative will let us to believe. Blackbirds are, for some people, considered a good omen. Others believe that the blackbird brings the lessons learned in meditation. It's also associated with travel to the other world and mysteries found there. Blackbird people are good to call upon when spiritual matters are at hand. And often, while rare, they are the best people to have in a group. The blackbird iridescent black plumage holds the energies of the mysticism and magic. Druid legends say that the birds of Rhiannon, or Rhiannon, sorry, are three blackbirds which sit and sing in the world tree of other worlds. The singing puts the listener into a sleep or a trance and enables him or her to travel to the other world. It is said uh, to impart mystic secrets. Those with this medicine often have a hypnotic influence on others and is well seen as an uncanny ability to move between the seen and unseen worlds with clarity. They make excellent shamans and trance channelers. Blackbirds are timid and prefer their own company over the company of others. In humans, shyness and security in group settings is common. Vulnerable is outside influences those to the totem need to remember to clear accumulated influences from their energy field on a regular basis. The male's distinctive song during breeding season is loud and melodious with the flute-like qualities. Males often sing in high perches of sexes. Both produce both sexes of the bird both produce variety of sounds, which include mimicking other birds. Blackbird medicine people love to sing and have the ability to use their voice to heal and inform. They are also a good ventriloquist. Blackbirds spend much of their time on the ground. Its locomotion includes walking, climbing, and hopping forward and backwards. The forage for food in open spaces, although as, uh, although cover is always nearby. When foraging and leaf litter under the trees, they sound like people walking. This is true. In humans, they suggest the ability to remain grounded in the earth energies while walking a spiritual path. When resting, the blackbird is frequently seen stretching, legs extended, back, side wings, and full extension and tall spread, and the head tilted to one side as if listening. Yoga and movement therapy are beneficial for those that hold this totem. The blackbird flights low, short, and undulating, but fast and direct over open country. They move with determination and focus and can teach us how to do the same. When the, back, when the blackbird flies into your life, your connection with nature and the forces of creation increase. The magic of the underworld surfaces in your life. Awareness is heightened and change on cellular level begins. The blackbird teaches you how to acknowledge your power and is to use it to its fullest. And lastly, we'll go into some of the Odin symbolism followed by the alchemical process of putrefaction. Putrefaction. And it sounds gross, right? Like smelly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we have, uh, and you can help me dig deeper on this too, cause you know more of the Norse mythologies here. Um, but we got Hunan and Munin are Odin's famous sidekicks. He sends them out in the morning to fly around the world. Hunan means thought and Munin means the mind. This reminds me of Hermes being the son of Zeus mm-hmm. and there being two and there being two clearly is a hermetic principle. In battle, it was quite common, commonly believed oh, that Odin lived. Yes. Uh, Hunan and Munin being the left side and right side of the brain, which creates thought in your mind. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. 
Uh, it is believed that Odin lived in the battlegrounds, deciding who was to be sacrificed to the ravens. Slaying someone in battle could be seen as a gift. Sometimes warriors were referred to as feeders of the raven. And of the not Nordic faith would be a gift to Odin as he's a guardian of the dead. Odin had also two wolves as companion, Gary and Fricky. Or, uh, what? Gary? Or it's like Jerry, G-E-R-I. Jerry and the Fricky. <laughs> Uh, Hugen and Mugen fly each day. Uh, Hugen and Munin fly each day over the spacious earth. I fear for Hugen that he, he that he not come back. Yet I am more anxious for Munin. This quote is from the Edda, as it specified that Hugen is known as thought and Munin of the mind. I see this simply as waking up the two halves of the brain, the spirit and the mind, to fly out each day of consciousness Ooh. and to hope to come back to grounded reality at the end of each day. As far as we, as far as we are told the lifestyle back in the antiquated centuries could be more full of psychedelic and prophetic prophecies filled with a bit more mysticism than they were, than we are used to in common society. And to finish off the crow symbolism and alchemical text, mainly Falconelli and George Ripley. Falconelli. Falconelli. Um, <clears throat> who's you guys uh, know is my, is my favorite French alchemist most recent alchemist that we know of. Um, and first text is from uh, George Ripley, the putrefaction of our stone, which according to Ripley takes a year or more, though we're not completely clear how the operator is turn earth to water, water to air and air to fire. And then to reverse the process and repeat it twice. What remains is the head of a crow, the crow's bill, the ashes of the Hermes tree, May we be allowed to pause a moment uh, on the hieroglyph of the crow because it hides an important point of our science. Indeed, the coction of the philosophical rabies. It expresses the black color, the first appearance of decomposition following the, uh, the perfect mixing materials of the egg. It is the sign exact preparation of compost. The crow is in a way the canonical uh, seal of the work, just as the star is the signature of the initial subject. But this blackness that the artist hopes for, which he anxiously awaits, whose appearance fulfills his wishes and fills him with joy, does not only manifest during uh, the coction, the black bird appears on several occasions, and this frequency allows the authors to make um, confuse of the order of operations confuse being the reversal of the process described by ripley above here are some quotations that may shed light on the investigator that's us and allow uh, him to recognize the path in tenebris labyrinth in the second operation the unknown knight the prudent artist fixes the general soul of the world and in common gold makes the earthly and immobile soul pure in this operation the putrefaction, which they call the crow's head, is very letting the general soul of the world. Well, um, there's a lot to unpack there, and this is just uh, this is just the blackbirds and that mm. tie to the cult and alchemy. Other birds of many different varieties hold spiritual symbolism all across ethos and theos. Hmm. Very good. It's- and I have a little bit more about the Phoenix and then I'm done. Okay. Okay. 
Alrighty. Uh, well, our show is literally named after this next historic bird. Yeah. <laughs> Though I'd like to go deeper, um, for timely purposes, I'm keeping it relatively short on this piece tonight. The Phoenix is brightly powered up with the charge over the centuries. No doubt having a massive alchemical relationships with humankind as technically it is a mythical bird can oftentimes be interpreted as a bird of prey. It was also seen as a peacock, a flaming peacock. The tears of the Phoenix are said to be an elixir to cure any illness and disease. When the phoenix decided to burst itself into flame, it was so bright it was often called the second sun. Looked at through symbolic terms used in our chemical text, the primordial or philosophical sun, or as uh, Falconelli described earlier, um, the uh, philosophical matter or the general soul of the world, the burning soul of the world. Those are those are our chemical terms there. It is only in my opinion, thus it's an immortal creature and the extensive process does include rebirth. When the end is near, the phoenix could sense this. She would make a nest of cinnamon, sage, and myrrh and burned itself, something fierce until it was only ashes. And from the pile of ashes, a new phoenix arises, ritually so, taking the old ashes of the predecessant phoenix to the altar of the sun in Heliopolis. The ashes could then bring life back from the dead on any living plane. And the Hindu Theos, the Phoenix is also known as the Ganda Barunda. Though it's not quickly translated, the Ganda Barunda is depicted as clutching elephants. As well, it's depicted as a Pekanda is double headed. This seems to fit the description. The double head could symbolize the rebirth effect. It's just speculation. Oh, well, well, we have Thoth being depicted as a bird, right? But to me, it's not so much. Only kind because of, what, Thoth or Hermes. What kind of ibis, bird? Ibis. Ibis. Okay. Ibis is like an, it's like an African bird, yeah, yeah. you know? You cut out the... Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, Thoth being depicted as the ibis bird. To me, this is not so much. Only because Thoth or Hermes being the curator of alchemy, the story goes as such. Egyptian mythology credits Thoth with the creation of this 365-day calendar. I'm using quotations here. Um, originally, uh, according to the myth, the year was only 360 days long, and Newt was sterile during these days, unable to bear children. Thoth gambled with the moon for one and 70 seconds of its light, or five days. And Thoth actually won. During these five days, Newt and Jeb gave birth to Osiris, Set, Isis, and Nephthys. Osiris being represented generally as well as Ra and the, with the Benu bird, Osiris. Sorry, I worded that very strangely. Osiris is represented as well as Ra with the Benu bird. And the Benu bird is the Egyptian version of the Phoenix, right? Or possibly the original interpretation of the Phoenix and the Greek came later. Chronologically speaking, that's how it would be. I have a feeling that there was a sense of rebirth or transmutation with the Benu bird. Um, because the story goes that Thoth has the head of an ibis bird. But to me, it would make sense that Thoth would have the head of a Benu bird since they do look similar and you know, there's a lot of alchemical terms that go into the Phoenix, like, you know, the, 
the, the cinnamon, the sage, the myrrh burning itself, keeping the ashes like those mm-hmm. are looked at and alchemical texts, you know, so and the flaming peacock inside of a vial like that's very alchemical, alchemically speaking. So it makes sense to me that Hermes could be interpreted as that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's just my interpretation. There's more I would like to have touch upon, like the Asianic mythos of the three-legged crow or the potential of Odin's interpretation of the animals and the birds and wolves connection to ancient Egypt and the vast symbology behind the eagles and hawks and owls. Yet, you know, I'm trying to get to this interview. So yeah, <laughs> that's it for the birds, man. Um, I'm going to add a little bit to that as uh, birds are... Uh, often associated with like divine wisdom yes birds hear wisdom in ancient forms of divination and are often equated with prophecy and insight echoed in the modern adage a little birdie told me birds are routinely associated (laughs) with gods as familiar spirits or avatars athena and ishtar are both associated with owls zeus with the eagle odin with the ravens the eagle is considered in many Native American tribes, especially among the Plains Indians of Southwestern Hopi and Pueblo groups to be related to the great spirit. The Navajo saw the bluebird as the herald of the sun, the supreme image of God. Um, In Tibetan folklore, birds are generally seen as divine messengers divided into caste. Those birds considered untouchable include raven, crows, vultures, hawks, and owls serving as emissaries for darker forces, including death. Vultures represented the classic Veracruz gods and their ferocious acceptance of sacrificial offerings. The dove is synonymous with the Christian Holy Spirit and one is said to have spoken revelations to the prophet Muhammad. In their roles as divine messengers, birds are analogs to angels in Abrahamic traditions. Indeed, when angels are imagined, they often have feathered wings. McLennan uh, found similar descriptions of the afterlife reported in near-death experiences. East Asian depictions include jeweled trees, jeweled ground, voices of many birds of variegated plumage, while Christians envision pearly gates and winged harp playing angels. The when the harps are like the singing of the birds, right? The winged yeah. angels uh-huh. in the in the in the jeweled tree of life. Uh the wise old owl is particularly recognized as an emblem of sagacity associated with the wisdom of Athena. Following a tradition of naturalistic explanations for folklore. Roland attributes this bird's reputation for supernatural knowledge to its luminous eyes, its ability to remain awake at night and to see in the dark. Yeah. And then the other one I wanted to talk about was the, the birds of psycho as psychopomps. Uh, Cause it's interesting. Birds are kind of associated with life too, with the stork, right? Bringing babies and stuff. But it's also associated with uh, transporting the souls of the dead. And so birds are psychopomps. Birds are sometimes described as stealing or transporting the souls of dead as psychopomps. The Romans in apotheosis released an eagle 
associated with the god Jupiter at the death of an emperor in order that it might conduct his soul aloft. Hawaiian myths includes birds named Halulu, Kawawa, and Iwa who carry souls to heaven. Some Native American groups describe vultures as bearing the dead into the spirit world. In Norfolk, swallows resting on a home predict death and are believed to snatch the soul away. If they are perched on a church, they are deliberating upon which soul to take. Legends appear in both China and among certain Native Americans that owls snatch souls from the dying. With some Southeast Native American prayers intended to induce owls to steal the souls of enemies. In Jewish folklore, the owl is often linked to the legendary demoness Lilith, who is sometimes blamed for infant death. A Jewish prescription to ward off the lethal effect of owls cries on children's is to pour water in the courtyard as distraction. Yeah, sorry, that didn't make a lot of sense. So I'm figuring out. Uh, the Jewish tradition is not unique. The Filipino Asawang, a creature in the form of a bird, lurks beneath the house of a pregnant woman in order to snatch the baby at birth. Lilith, for her part, can be traced from Hebrew folklore into earlier Mesopotamia, related to the goddess Ishtar and Inanna. Um, the Mesopotamian goddess is herself linked to the owl, famously depicted in the 18th century BC. Babylon has uh, bas relief in the British Museum with owls flanking her half woman, half bird form, descending into the underworld and returning therefrom mark her as a goddess of both death and rebirth, a cyclical pattern important to the overall symbol symbolism of birds generally. So I just wanted to add that part. Uh, Cause when I read uh, Andrew Collins book, uh, the, the Cygnus key uh, in there, he talks a lot about uh, birds and, they talk about vultures in there because I someone yeah. was talking about vultures and, the other day, and I was like trying to remember who the fuck was. And uh, I was listening to Singus Key the other day. But oh, you like were maybe a month. So ago. yeah, it's probably him, man. Because yeah, he talks about vultures. He talks about many different types of birds, and they just have different yeah. depictions of them. But they they're often associated with uh, carrying the soul to the north. So yeah, that's dude. That book's really great. I haven't finished it. Super dense, like. Those those types of books, um, I have to like be ready to intake a shit ton of information because they're just loaded to the brim, yeah. you know. I'm surprised it took us this long to do fucking bird symbology because. Well, I did it uh, once before. I mean, we should have done this a long fucking time. This I, probably I, should have been done on our first show. I did one like I can't <laughs> even remember. It was like I think for an opening of like Ari Aster or something. Oh, okay. It was random, and and I did like, I did like Sailor Jerry birds. You know, uh, <laughs> they're sparrows, so, they're so sparrows many. and swallows. Yeah, sparrows. I did a lot of sparrows. I, I wanted to give shout Gabe's. He, uh, you want? Oh yeah, my computer's to gonna die soon. I forgot to grab my fucking charger. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I want to give shout out okay. to Gabe because he made a video and a shout out to me this morning on his new video because I asked him about muted signs, what he meant yeah. by that, you know. And so he made the video and he brought up Cardinal as as one of the one of these signs. Uh, 
in the cardinal arrow and i was like holy shit i'm doing bird symbolism tonight i was like that's like cool i, I like totally want to dig into the cardinal and then i i got I got, I got attracted to the blackbirds because I, I haven't pulled up. I don't know my animal totem, but like, I think I, I have some blackbird relation in my totem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. There's a calling to me, baby. A little birdie told me. Yeah. She big bird though. You know me. She's all got feathers, got a little egg pouch to chop up in there. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> uh, well, that's it for RFTA news. Uh, let's get into this interview with Marty Leeds, who uh, has opened up a Gnostic church online. And uh, Rowan said he watched it, listened to it. How would you think, bud? And that was great. He he knows he knows all his shit inside and out. He knows Gematria. Yeah, he yeah. knows Hermetic principles. He you know so he brings all of these beautiful uh alchemical understandings and ways to basically de-occult and de-twilight language the bible and um talk about it in a very understandable way to what a lot of us talk about you know Mm -hmm. what we talk about on you know this show and you know everyone in the community it's like to demystify and to de-occult twilight language and that's what the bible is so he does a good job of that and you know, he's taken an interesting approach and spin at it. And so this is like, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna change the minds of like people who are hardcore Christian. Like that's the people he's targeting is people who are in the Christian belief and he's trying to pull them out. So I Mm. fucking promote that. Like, good job, Marty. (laughs) You know, like you're teaching people about Gnosticism. Like that's fucking cool. You know, like that's not, that's not common. Like that's academia, like academia acknowledges Gnosticism, right? Like, but mainstream religion doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Fuck yeah. I mean, uh, like, I, the shit I like, I'm sorry, uh, Getty, I shout out to Getty, uh, <laughs> Getty Institute on YouTube. Those guys are lay it thick. Uh, we're, we're pretty all over. We ask them a whole bunch of different questions. We didn't really cover one topic. We ask them a lot about ancient civilizations and Atlantis and Lemuria and his thoughts on that. And we got a, into a little bit of, uh, Gnostic Jesus stuff and, uh, a little flat earth stuff, a little bit of a little bit of everything in this one, huh? Yeah, you know, like I said in the in the a little bit ago, is like we kind of stepped out of the of the of the lost civilizations and went into a more spiritual side on this one, you know. Yeah, and that's like us to do because we're spiritual motherfuckers. So, <laughs> you know, it's gonna happen. Yeah, but it's a great episode. You guys will enjoy it anyway. So, thank you, Fire Tribe. Wake. Wake. Uh, Number two, the uh, invaders from a distant land, which I understand to be Atlantis. Which I understand. 
which will resonate like a bell. crisscross into the vectors of saved data filed away into our hard drives. We can picture an archetype of the dusty, toothless prospector knelt down in a lush, backward stream. A proverbial spark in a fire. A proverbial spark in a fire. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rising from the Ashes. I'm Dan Unaki Dan. Diamond the homie Romy. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Today we are here with Marty Leeds. Marty, how are you doing? Good. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, excellent, man. Uh, give the little, uh, give, give the little people, give the people <laughs> a little uh, backstory about yourself and uh, what you do. Uh, lots of things, I guess. Um, I just <laughs> started a church. That's the big thing. Yeah. So, um, so basically just an online church, but that might change in the future. So, but yeah, um, uh, so I do, uh, sermons every Sunday and basically on all sorts of spiritual topics. That's what I focus on mainly. I just wrote a new book called Lord Jesus Christ. And I've got a couple other books, uh, Pine the English Alphabet volumes one through three, a book called the Peacock's Tales. I did um, a rewrite of the Declaration of Independence that I that I uh, put out, and then yeah, um, made some documentaries. Uh, Flat Earth: The Ultimate Litmus Test, um, Dear Wolfgang, revisiting Sandy Hook, a few others, and then yeah, I'm a musician as well. Um, made I don't know ten, eleven records, EPs, and stuff like that. You know, small records. So uh, yeah, that's just, yeah, I do a lot of stuff. <laughs> so right, right now it's basically teaching you know ministry is the most important thing right now so. beautiful i i love your new uh your new work that you're doing because one the the book lord jesus christ is simply labeled simply titled but it's it's gnostic it's alchemical it's hermetic it's like all these things that the true roots of Christianity actually stemmed from that's been basically stripped away from mainstream understanding. I'm going to get a copy to my mom as soon as possible because it'll blow her mind and change her entire life. And um, yeah, I popped into the sermon this morning too. And I was just like, it's basically a, an amazing uh, alchemical hermetic breakdown of the Bible piece by piece. Like, what more do you need? What more do you want? Like, this is, it's beautiful with somebody who knows what they are talking about. And so I think it's, it's a long time coming. Um, and I, it seems a natural fit for you. So, uh, you know, congrats on everything, brother. Thank you. Like, I'd like to think I know what I'm talking about anyway. So I, no, I, appreciate, <laughs> that. I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's why I'm doing it is because it's really needed. It's something that I studied many, many years. I mean, the first video I ever put out on YouTube was a, was a video on uh, Christ. And it was before I was even, you know, make a book, making a book on it, on him and, or, you know, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's just sort of a natural, de you know, development, really. It just seems like the right thing to do. And ever since I started it, it's been... I don't know, just, you know, when you just feel like you're in the flow state or you're in a groove, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, and you're just in that it's, it's been that way pretty much ever since. And in fact, it was really strange because right after I released the book, I don't know if I had some sort of like, uh, 
that I was just constantly frustrated, like something wasn't right. And as soon as I've gone down this road, it's been like a breath of fresh air. Like I had a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. Like, okay, now you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And there's been many times in life where that's, that's how it's been, you know, where life is just kicking your ass and kicking your ass and kicking your ass. And like, Oh God, what the, what the F? And then you realize it's like, Oh, because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I'm not on the, I'm not on that path. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful uh, journey, and you know there's many signs, and they're subtle, um, and they they they're there they're there from God and from this ulterior source of, you know, magnetic power and this goodness to align you in the direction you need to go. And if you keep hitting just a little bit of, you know, roadblocks on the way, you got you're gonna you should uh, be like, okay, take a step back, look up, look down, look in, you know, look out and understand what's really going on. Um, I learned uh, a while ago that the indigenous Native American interpretation of, of birds and feathers, which is really deep and profound. I'm, I'm not going to go into it all right now, but um, one of them is they, you know, they are the, uh, they are the air and they are in between us and God. They are the highest creatures that can actually, um, you know, go between the land and the air and the closer to the heavens. And so when you find feathers on the ground, the reason why feathers are sacred is because it's aligning you and your path, showing you that you are in fact on this good path that you were supposed to be on. And, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it's small or big, it's okay. And it's, it's right because that feather is there. It's laid and picked off from one of the gods and placed at your feet to let you know that you are in, you know, complete state of, of oneness in harmony. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way, um, that sort of mindset of looking at the world is, you know, in that sort of, you know, what you attributed to like native American spirituality, that sort of mysticism, that way of looking at the world is seeing that everything is symbolic. And then when you realize things are symbolic, it's everything is communicating with you in -hmm. ways and especially synchronicities and things like that, little miracles that happen. This is when you take that understanding, like, you know, I would say this, when I'm teaching the Bible on Sundays, it's really looking at it like a, like a native American spirit, you know, like a spiritual mystic would. And it's that sense because, and that's what I think has been lost is that, you know, people think that, you know, attributing biblical stuff to that mystical angle is very like woo woo or new age. And it's bullshit. You know, it's nonsense. Old age. Oh, yeah. It's really the old age. I mean, that's the Bible is dripping wet with <laughs> that sort of that sort of feeling. And it's trying to get you into that that state of mind, which is a very poetic, very mystical, very alchemical state of mind. And that's to see God everywhere. And not and not some in some BS way. Like we're like you're just saying, like, oh no, that feather, I'm passing that for a reason. You know, and it does have a symbol. Yes. And you're right. I mean, why do you think the Egyptians use the falcon, Horus, you know, why? Why is it a bird? Why? You know, what, just like the eagle or the phoenix, you know, the eagle, like, in you know, the Americans iconography and symbology. Why the eagle? Well, just as you said, it's a symbol of that thing that's reaching towards the heavens. It's, you know, up yeah. there between the spiritual world and us. Ro- Roman and I uh, just met up in San Francisco over the weekend. We just got back today. And uh, we went around looking at some of the Tartarian structures, you know, that people talk about and whatnot, and went uh, to a few churches. 
and we went inside of one church. Uh, what would I think it was the Grace or? Uh, it's not the Grace Cathedral. That's the other, I think, big one. It's St. Mary's. It might be St. Mary's. It's a huge cathedral. It's neo-Gothic style. Yeah. I was really hoping it was a little it's bit newer, yeah. rustic, but yeah, it's definitely newer, um, but taking on the original Gothic style. But just as far as the symbolism, when you go inside, you can see so much symbolism when you know what you're looking for. Even like, uh, you know, it had like the women with their coif headdress on, not like the hood thing on and, uh, the the robe and when you look at it upside down you can see the omega symbol you know it's like so clearly there but yet probably most people don't even recognize it you know and uh they had mary they had these different rooms and mary was in a cave and uh there's so much symbolism just behind mary being in a cave i mean it's so it's crazy to me that people don't see these types of things. You know, they take it all at surface value. So what can you tell us more about like a deeper understanding of like the Jesus mysteries and the Gnostic viewpoint and, and kind of how you wrap everything together? Well, uh, to say something about that, about how, how people don't see it, I think that we've been taught to, to sort of exist in a low level of consciousness and accept mm-hmm. that low level of consciousness. And I think what's happening right now is you do see an awakening where people are like this stuff, this sort of Tartarian architecture that's obviously old world has mm-hmm. been all around us everywhere. And we've lived with it and we've walked by it and we've, you know, and that sort of stuff. And now we're just starting to see it because, you know, we've been under this wizardry. We've been under a spell of keeping us, you know, just sort of low level buzz, like going uh, kind of thing. And people are fed up with that. And so upon this awakening that that we see happening right now, people are looking around and they're like, oh my God, we're, we're standing on Atlantis. We're standing on, you know, what they say, the lost land that it's all sunken in. Yeah, it probably was. There probably was some sort of flood or obviously some sort of recurring cyclical destruction and recreation thing that's going on, Mm -hmm. but that we're standing on it. Yeah. Yeah, and, for real. Uh, yeah. So, um, the, the G, the, we, you know, we could talk about the Jesus mysteries. The Jesus mystery is basically, it's, uh, what he represents is, um, like a fundamental or an axiom of creation that basically, how do I say this? Inherent or embedded within nature itself is a universal religious process. And that's a process of death and rebirth. That's essentially what you're here to do. And that's, in. So I mean, it's like literally encoded within the fabric of creation. And this is what all the great mystics and sages and seers and, you know, uh, theologians and stuff like that, alchemists throughout time basically got to. And so the figure, this perfected man, this anthropocosm, perfected man, frame divine man, has is a recurring theme that comes up again and again and again in civilizations. And this is why you can make all of these um, you know, very distinct corollaries between sun gods and all of these other cultures and why it shows up again. Because basically what you have is people that went into nature itself, the natural laws in which God mm-hmm. is emanates out, whatever, and realize that there is intelligence in it. 
and not only intelligent, but as we're saying, when you get into that mystical state, it's fucking talking to you, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Saying, it's like, oh no, this has some, this has meaning. You know, when I mean, isn't that what the religious pursuit is—the search for meaning, right? What is and and it even gets very. You know, I say it's not self-centered, it's centering the self, but it gets very self-centered to be like, well, what does my life mean? What am I here for? And that seems like a narcissistic sort of thing. But no, that's the mystery that we're all uh, engaged. You know, that's, that's what's my story, right? Yeah, my story. That's mm-hmm. what's presented to us. So the Christ figure is um, your pursuance to that perfection. That's your journey, your goal, your trajectory, your that's your path. So, and it, and you will find it in all of the high civilizations, you know, super fascinating. I, I broke down, um, I'm not much of a, a twilight language decoder or cult decoder and definitely not, um, gemat, gem, gematric, gematria, gematria adequately. <laughs> I wanted to like do like grammatically and gematria in the same word. Anywho. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I thought like a really layman's way to break down Jesus was like, he's us or like he's us. And like I and then I heard you say, which clicked a lot of other kind of like small threads was with mystery being my story. So he the Jesus mysteries, he's us. It's my story. It's that that um that 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 breakthrough and like that journey in life. And then, uh, you know, there's obviously correlation between, um, you know, people have brought up that, uh, you know, Hermes. Uh, Trismegistus, the thrice great, the Holy Trinity, which goes hand in hand, alchemical, occult, everything has a, has a Trinity somewhere along the lines, electricity, energy. Um, and so you, but you have, he's us and you have Hermes. It's like her, me's thrice, you know, one, two, three, where, you know, it's, there's all of those, like, there's so much word involvement and everything. But um, I guess the question I'm getting to is when you started studying um, these like mysteries and uh, and started getting into like a cultic breakdown, what was some of the biggest like revelations you had that really just got your wheels turning? And when you were just like, this is officially it. My passion is is kind of, you know, running with this. Um. Well, I, let me say something, too, about the Jesus and then if I may, the, the Hermes, the he's us kind of thing, right? Hey, Jesus, he's us. Yes. Yes. Just we, I just was talking to um, James true and he had mentioned this and this is something it's, you know, it's right there. Like just we in French is I am. Okay. And this is this great, this is really the great revelation behind all the great, you know, the, the, the great secret behind all of the, the initiatory, you know, um, whatever revelatory uh, i don't want to say secret i don't want to say secret orders but mystic schools right is basically that god is dwells within you and to go and discover that so when jesus is like saying i am this is the notion that yes the great i am just as god says in exodus three fourteen, i am that i am it's basically this notion that yes the only thing you can ultimately say about yourself is i am from that god all of the things that get put on you are all carnal. They're all fleeting. Like, like, here's your name and here's, you know, that's, that sort of stuff. All those things are passing, but when you get to the core of what you are, that's, you know, that's the, I am, you know, so there's that, but, um, the, thank you. That's the, beautiful. Yeah. Um, was, what's some of the f- things that got me started in this? 
a big revelation was, um, well, years and years and years of pursuing an, an answer, like genuinely wanting an answer and being completely open to all information and that sort of thing. But so that led to a point of like, well, can you find an answer? That, that question that ultimately led down many roads, but ultimately to math, which was a, became this revelation about like, okay, well, you know, everybody's full of shit. I can't trust anybody. I don't, you know, everything I'm learning (laughs) about science is nonsense. Everything that religion is telling me is nonsense. All of these religions are saying that this is how this is. And this is what this book means. And I'm reading it myself. And that doesn't make any sense. So I got to a point where I was like, math, oh, math doesn't lie. If two plus, if I quantitatively, two plus two will always equal four, you know, right angle three, four, the hypotenuse is going to be five, period. So it got to that realization where I was like, oh, I could go somewhere where there was truth and it was a universal truth. Studying it, not knowing shit about it, by the way, not knowing anything about math, being terrible at it. I had to start at the ground floor. So then I went in it and I was like, okay, well, I don't know anything about it. I just have to learn it myself. So that gave me a ton of freedom because I wasn't letting, I was learning it all by myself auto, autodidactically or whatever. And I wasn't letting any, anybody being like, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. So when I realized after a while working with it, I'm like, this is, well, it got to that mystic thing, right? About looking at the, the, the um, you know, the, the bird's feather there and being like, oh, that's symbolic. It has meaning behind it. Then you got to a point where it was like, these numbers, working with them, they have an inherent meaning. Two is a duality. It's a polarity. You know, three, as you're saying, has this left and right. And there's like a bridge or a uniter or, a, a, you know, a, something between them. One is wholeness. You know, these were these artifacts of nature that were everywhere around us, universal. No one could fuck with them. You couldn't be like, well, I'm going to change the number seven today and it's going to be the number 19 or something. Number seven's not going to be a prime anymore. You can't do that. So I got to that and I was like, well, what is all this? What mm-hmm. is this? Where does it come from? We obviously didn't just make it up. Yeah. The, so, it's, the, it's the Fibonacci. It's the natural order of life occurrence it's uh it's how life is life and it's the science behind it yeah so it's um it's really a metaphysical science that has its reverberations in physicality right so you can go to a flower and look at the head of a flower for Mm -hmm. example simple or look at your hand you know it's like Mm -hmm. oh the expression of fives right there now there's no physical number five that we can go and visit anywhere in creation be like oh look it's the number five and it's a prime and it's you know like here this squared is 25 it doesn't that doesn't happen and yet the expression is right here same thing if you look at the head of a flower you know it's it's unfolds in this pattern pattern comes from paternos pater comes from father it's a it's a variation of father Mm. we talk about the father god the patterns it's um you know it's unfolding in this pattern but it's not like you know there's no place where the you know the fibonacci sequence is somewhere physically objectively where we can go but it's everywhere in and you know examine it but it's everywhere around us you see what i'm saying yeah so it's this metaphysical language that's everywhere universal and so then it got to a point where it's like oh well you look at all these old alchemists and you look at all of them with new eyes when you start looking at them with math. Because you're like, holy shit, that's a compasses and square. Holy shit, that's three and four. Holy shit, that's a triangle. Oh, that's 180 degrees. 
that's three becoming one. That's the holy, you know, the any out of nine. That's the, you know, blah, blah, blah. You just keep going, you know. Do you think, because a lot in this community we talk about, you know, the elite and stuff. Do you think that they are purposely putting this, these numbers into things? Or is this just part of the natural order of occurring reality? Mathematics is a universal language. So the right. um, understanding it and how, and, you know, basically understanding things like what I call the alphabet of the divine or what's known in Kabbalah as the 10 emanations, that's, you know, what would be construed as a divine science. It is not even construed. It's absolutely termed a divine science. There's no question. So the people that quote unquote run the show, the elites that should not be whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Right. They, um, they obviously know this stuff mm-hmm. and whatever their machinations and their little schemes and plans are, it's, it's clear that they're, you know, use utilizing this occult language. Mm-hmm. So, but then the problem with that is then people see the, you know, these dark sinister forces. Using yeah. It, and then they're like, see, we got to stay away from that. And it's like, that's, that's where I come in and be like, no, that's what evil does. Uh-huh. Evil wraps itself up in the divine. And, yes. and what a great way to, and this is what I say always, what a great way of keeping people away from divine knowledge by the, by the devil or people that work for father time, if you will, wrapping themselves up in it. So every genuine seeker that comes to, or, you know, seekers that come to it be like, oh, I got to stay away from that. That's, that's the devil. That's Satan. That's a cult. That's this. Blasphemy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's her, it's heretical. Uh, no, it's I wonder, heretical. I wonder that about uh, uh transhumanism at times, because that's one of these topics that I just get. So like, I, 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 li- I literally really found myself up. livid, right? <laughs> because I'm like, you know, I, as, as a, as a, as also a fellow musician myself, you know, like I had, you know, I grew up just like never liking electronic music because it just wasn't music in my opinion. It wasn't made by a band, right. You know, so on and so forth. And then growing up, obviously like opening my mind a bit more and then finding out, wow, you know, there is a lot more diversity here with the tonal frequencies that I could ever have imagined being a possibility when I was younger. Well, not really, I guess if I was, you know, taught and brought up, right. I would have understood it. Right. But, um, you know, then, and then it just, I grew this hate for technology um, but you know, when you bring up things like this, it makes me think like, it, obviously electricity has been with us for a lot longer than we've been told it has, you know, we've been suppressed about ancient technology and technology and understanding physics at all on a general level and mathematics on a general level. And the fact that electricity is very spiritual and electrolysis and all of these things actually is flowing through everything. And electricity is this energy that is basically gifted to us through uh, the divine. And so channeling that can actually up our spirit and our auric field and, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, I've been working on some work, you know, hopefully I would like to call it a magnum opus at some point. Uh, but, you know, trying to find out the symbolism behind the cross, you know, um, because from what I intuitively feel that the cross has been obviously flipped and construed in a way from these, uh, you know, powers that be to have it in their um, have it in their ball house, their, their you know, their their court. To tell us that, you know, it's basically only a shape that was used to pin Christ on. And for me, I, I, I see it as, you know, um, putting the dead body of Christ on this 
this cross, which was actually used for gathering ether energy out of the air, which was getting the God energy, which can be in, you know, electricity and then putting him on here saying, you know what? Electricity's dead and you'll never understand it. You'll never understand the magic of numbers. You'll never understand the magic of this ether energy because we're giving you this dead story and giving you the dead meaning of it. And, um, yet again, a rant that's, I'm going to just going to try to throw a question in here. What is your alchemical understanding and interpretation of the cross through the time before Christianity and, and the symbol of the cross that's being carried through all of these, um, these beautiful, uh, uh, characters and the stories, right? They're holding a cross. They're either put on a cross, you know, um, what, and obviously, you know, going through Pythagorean type of theorem, you know, in numbers, you know, you have number four, uh, representing the cross, which is an incredibly important number in, the, uh, in the sequence. So what's your take on the cross and, and alchemically and however mystically and whatever, what have you, um, to please give me that I'm itching brother. I need to know what you think about the cross. <laughs> well, once, you know, when you get into stuff that of, of the like divine, it's always about universalities, right. Or like transcendental truths. So the cross is one of these symbols that is, it's like a fra- it's a fractal. It's this little thing here, this, Vertical and horizontal represent the entire thing, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's the cross between male and female. It's the cross between yin and yang. It's the cross between you know, um, uh, you know, you could say the, the the poles of electricity. This is that sort of thing. Then you could say, well, it's the cross of the human being, just as we are cross. The Tao cross was always represented as you know the human being, often put on the forehead of initiates and stuff like that. The Tao cross that has a mathematic Tao is a mathematical. It's six point two eight. So there's that. But um, the cross is also the, the cross, the solstice and the solstices and the equinoxes. So just in this simple symbol, and you have to realize what is it? It's just two lines coming together, and yet that's how God works that's how god operates and how he speaks to humanity with such simplicity but you have to go in and really extract it you know and from this simplicity is when you know the ultimate sophistication kind of thing and so the cross has all of those representations i don't know if you guys know the work of Crichton miller he did a book called the golden thread of time and you can watch the documentary i think it's called the golden thread of time or the Celtic cross, one of the two, but what he saw, what he showed, and he actually patented this, he patented it because it's a working tool. What he did was, um, I don't know if you guys know the Celtic cross, but the Celtic cross has a cross, but it's got a wheel on it. So what he did is actually put the wheel and he made it into arc minutes and he used the cross and he, and he put a, 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 a plumb line and a bob on it. So it would always you know be leveled. So the, 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 the wheel would turn as you dipped the cross. So what you could do is actually line up the crossbars to a star anchored, you're, you know, tethered to the ground and you could actually find the declination and ascension of stars using the cross. So, and he wow. this and he, yeah, yeah. And he used it like he's any, he, you know, I think he's got two patents on it. So he did, a, and he did a whole book and he explained it. There's a documentary on it. So here is a, absolutely verifiable navigational tool used, you know, to, you know, you got to think about it back in the day, if you wanted to navigate, you know, uh, across land or something like that, you could literally just use this and up, oh, I can figure out, Oh, I got to go, you know, this, this far, this is that sort of thing. So yet another use for that cross. 
So really what it is, it's like this, um, I don't want to say Pandora's box, but like I said, it's a fractal. Like you get into it and it's just like, oh, and then this is here. And then that means this and this and this and this. And that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to open up. And of course, like you're saying, this is what essentially the, the modern Christian teaching does is it keeps people locked in this state where it's like, it's a symbol about Christ on the cross. That's yeah. And yeah. that has been done. I'll just say this and I'll end my rant. That obviously has been done intentionally. I, I couldn't agree absolutely more. I love the fractal like understanding of that because even, you know, just thinking about, you know, as, as you grow those crosses, if you were to extend it, it's going to be the same, you know, as it goes down and it's just, it is a, it, it's like the fabric. It's like you could go and make a mat, you know, you could make a perfect like web and a mat. And this is beautiful, brother. Thank you for that. I knew you'd have a great answer for that. So I appreciate you. Yeah. And also, uh, if you, if you, uh, fold the cross up, it turns into a cube too. Uh, that's a whole nother. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's all of that stuff in there. So, uh, I mean, it's just, you know, there's, when you full unfold it into, um, from a cube into a cross, um, there's 14 points along that cross and 14 stations, uh, um, in the crucifixion of Christ stations. Hmm. Which can you, know, you can you explain those? What, what, I've never actually heard of these fourteen uh, stations. Well, on on the way to Christ being crucified, he was you know carrying the cross and he fell I think three times and then Veronica wiped his face and it was each station of the cross up to him mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know dying. Yeah, and so it's called and it's well known. It's fourteen stations. You take that into a mathematical term, stations like points. You go from station to station. You take you put that into a two dimensional plane. That's literally your the the perimeter of that cross it just is so yeah. it's uh, stuff like that cross, that yeah. yeah like yeah yeah when when we were in san francisco and we went into that church they were actually doing a whole they were sermon doing... on the stations of the cross that's crazy and we yeah. were gonna stay and watch it and and uh Roman wanted to leave after like the fourth one, but I wanted to go because <laughs> it was getting dark out and we only had so many hours in the city that yeah, yeah. obviously a lot of Masonic uh, uh, history. I mean, yeah, after we left found- there, we kind of went onto the bench and we're like looking up stuff and, you know, realizing that there's a lot of Masonic type of, uh, symbology going on too around I even say a the lot. whole city I would say the entire city the whole city foundationally yeah. built <laughs> purely by um some of the strongest masons of the time of of the construction of the city i mean it was just it was in interlaced everywhere in that city it was beautiful yeah mm. yeah i mean that's a whole conversation about masonry and what's happened to that organization and yeah what do you think has happened to that because i get confused and i i hear a lot of people's different interpretations of masonry and you know it kind of goes back and forth they're either evil or they're good and they're they're corrupted and it's like what what is what 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 do you think like the 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 first problem and this is a problem even for and i've said this i've said this to other masons and they've totally because i'm not a mason right Mm -hmm. but i've studied the hell out of it i mean every mason that i know being we've said and i don't mean to say this like to sound egotistical or anything like that but you know every mason i've ever ego gotta fly baby well yeah every you know they're like that guy knows his shit on masonry you know like they you know so there's that but i've read a lot of masonry and the problem with masonry is people don't even understand what it is they assume it's just a brotherhood of dudes or a secret society or it's the sons of may or yeah, you know, all sorts of things like that. And what masonry actually is, 
is exactly what masonry says it is. It's a it's a science of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated in symbols. It's exactly what it is. And what it actually is, is an ancient mystery school. It's no different than the, and it took me a long time to understand that, but it's no different than the Orphic mysteries or the Dionysian, Dionysian mysteries or the Delphic you know, mysteries, the Egyptian mysteries, the Pythagorean mystery schools. It's, it's a modern day mystery school for people who are seeking to want to initiate themselves into higher levels of wisdom. And so what you'll actually find is what masonry is, is that. So they're a, they're a library or a compendium. They basically are a steward of ancient knowledge. And they tell you that. That's what the books will say. So they collect all of these, all of these symbols and ideas from all religions all over the world. And they keep them and they write about them. And there's, you know, endless books by Masonic scholars that talk about this and make the connections and stuff like that, that nobody reads except people who are go <laughs> like myself or whatever that go yeah. to Masonry that are like, holy shit, this is amazing. So, so because it's wrapped up in a cult, the occult, which is hidden knowledge, it's all it is. So then people see that and then, and they don't understand any of those symbols really. They, so they'll say it's Masonic symbolism and it's like, well, no, it's Masonic symbolism is literally just them collecting symbols. So a lot of people will say the all seeing eye of God, that's a Masonic symbol. No, that's incorrect. Yes. Masons use it, right? Yes. Masons collect it, but it's been used in also, well, one Christianity, you'll find it in Christian churches, especially some of these ones that you're, you know, we're talking about. Right. So mm-hmm. that's the problem is that people come to it and they assume a bunch of stuff before actually figuring out what it is. Now, the corruption aspect of it is the notion that, well, anything that is uh, um, uh, a vehicle for light, anything that's a vehicle for, um, you know, literally trying to be stewards or custodians of ancient wisdom, you bet your ass it's going to be corrupted, right? But that doesn't mean that masonry or like your average lodge or your average mason is corrupted. Far from it. Most of these guys, like I said I just talked about this, but when you meet a Mason, the first thing you'll do is I got to go see this guy's library. (laughs) Why? Because please, I'm down. (laughs) Yeah. Jam freaking packed with books that will make you wet yourself. You're like, oh my God, I didn't even know this thing existed. You know, alchemical treaties, Rosicrucian documents, things that are like, um, and people think it's all like magic or something. No, it's like more often than not, it's religious study and comparative mythology, Mm -hmm. symbolic study. So like when I, I don't mean to rant here, but when I, no, please, please do. We love it, bro. (laughs) When I moved to Wisconsin, you know, I met my online friend Amor and he's, you know, he's been a Rosicrucian. He's been a Mason. When I went over to his house, the first thing I did is I I went up to his room and I was like, oh, let's let's see your library book after book. And then he gave me, I think three books that I'd never even heard of the one I've already went through. It's just, I mean, awesome you know, fantastic. And so this is the biggest problem with masonry. People's lack of understanding it, lack of understanding that it's actually what masonry truly is, is, is a light onto nations. It's, it's a gift to humanity when it's properly understood. You know, the problem is it's been just like Christianity. It's been completely misunderstood. It's been, you know, there's issues with people that have taught it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, people have said, and I'll end my rant. 
people have said over the years, it's like, oh, I really appreciate what you do and the knowledge that you share and stuff like that. And I've said it for 10 years. Okay, well, if you like what I present, at some point, you're going to have to thank a Mason. Because there's so much of what I present that I learned from those scholars. And I'm very, I feel very, um, in that mystic sense, very connected to my, my, my relatives, my brothers, people that are dead, that I've learned from, that have written books. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I do because I recently have got it like ever since starting this podcast, which has changed my life basically for the great for the for the ways that needed to happen. Right? You're welcome. A, thank you, Dan. Uh, it was an ultimate feather um, found, and uh, yeah, I basically picked reading back up. You know, this past year, and like I went from having literal zero, maybe one book that uh, was you know about some like pretty cool cosmology book that you know i hadn't even read i just have it to now i have over like 25 books of like you know uh just uh, my favorite has been fulcanelli and the, and the mystery of the cathedrals like i've just it's been insanely profound to me and understanding alchemy and the old hermetic ways of how the function of the true function of fluidity within the the christian religion that was that you know mainstream or main religion at that time and yeah man like it's like you i i I, it's yet again it's something that's been just fucking strangled by um by some assholes you know and then now everybody that you talk to they're just like oh freemasons are terrible what nasa right like so on and so forth and you're like Oh my gosh, you know, and, and it, and it gets hard to keep your composure at times, but that's the great work, right? Keep your cool. That's, that's the pro the problem too, is it's, you know, blaming Masons is like I've said, it's just lazy and easy. It it requires essentially no brain power. You know, you see, Oh, that was rat. There's a Mason symbol over there with some effery, you know, fuckery that went on in NASA. And that's the amount of research you've done. It's like, well, maybe they're actually using them as a scapegoat, you know, like, because that's actually what's going yeah. on. And people are, you know, especially like flat earthers and stuff like that. They just don't want to hear that. They're like, no, those are the those are the bad guys. I'm like, no, I, I'm, I, you know, look at people are like, oh, um, the the people that went to the moon, you know, uh, Buzz Aldrin and all those guys, they were all Masons and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, and look at look at the, uh, you know, when they came back allegedly, look at the press conference they did. Does it, does it look like they're like, yeah, man, we just you know, we just fooled the world. Yeah. High five. No, they look guilty as hell. They look like they got screwed. They look like they were part of some government program and said, Hey boys, these are going to the moon. And they, he was like, well, you already signed some shit. You want us to destroy your life? Fucking oh, Masons They're Masons. Uh, another thing I, I mentioned too, is uh, oh, I forget his name. Um, Gus Grissom, Gus Grissom. Um, he's Mason 30, 32nd, I think. Degree Mason, he was the guy that hung a lemon on the lunar module saying this fucking thing ain't going to the moon. And then a week <laughs> later, his capsule burst open in flames and he died. And he was a Mason. But like I said, it's way easy and lazy to just be like, ah, oh, space program, Masons, liars, done. Yeah. And it works oh. beautifully. And it works beautifully, doesn't it? How many people are now now not investigating Masonry because I already know they're the liars. I don't need to listen to that Marty Leeds fella. He's he talks out of both sides of his mouth or whatever. It's like, no, I'm just speaking from 10 years of experience, you know? <laughs> so 
Yeah, do what do you know about the um, Moorish masonry? Because, like, from my understanding, that's the original mystery school of masonry was from the Moors, and they had like I think two hundred plus degrees, and then there was a a kind of shift that happened. Uh, do you know anything about that? Not particularly, but you know, the one of the great questions too that when you get into Masonic literature is they'll say is like the the history of masonry is a mystery. We have no idea. Like even in the Masonic Encyclopedia, when you read, you know, Albert Mackey, right? When they talk about he's, you know, he's discussing where uh, you know masonry comes from, and they're like, "Well, the first mason was Noah. No, the first mason was actually Adam. No, the first no uh, masonry or you know, you know, in Kabbalah and things like that. That was taught by a group of angels in a Theosophical school, and this." It's a freaking question. No one has any idea. Was, uh, then, then you'll then there'll be a speculation. It was like, oh, it was Nimrod or something like that. And then in the same book where people will point to, is like, oh, Nimrod. See, masonry is evil. The same <laughs> one they'll talk about. Adam was a mason, and you'll ignore that, you know. And it's like, so the whole point is that really what the mystery is is what is masonry. It and once again, all you have to do is look at the main insignia of it. That'll tell you it's wrapped up in geometry and, and number. That's what Masons do. That's what oh, carpenters, yeah. carpenters do. And so that alone, when you realize that, it's like, wait a second, wait, wait, isn't that what they were teaching in the Pythagorean schools too? Yep. Well, Angles. so you mean to tell me that the Pythagorean schools are alive and well today? Yep. <laughs> um, I read a book uh, called The Hiram Key, and uh, it was written by some Freemasons, and they're trying to figure out where Freemasonry came from. Yep. And they traced it back to Hiram Abif in Egypt. The mythically, anyway, they they trace it back to Egypt just because Egypt is well known to be this architectural masterpiece. You know, the, of course, the Great Pyramid, one of the seven wonders of the world. You know, mm-hmm. but when you look at the Giza Plateau and you look at what's going on there, I mean, it's ridiculous. And so, when you see masonry, you know. Uh, harken back you'll see it harken back to egypt you know that, i mean this is where allegedly thoth mm-hmm. you know uh, hermes came from you know god of writing and he figured this stuff out it's all myth i mean it's you know it's basically saying we number one we can't know because we can't go back in history and figure it out so all of these tales are telling you it's like hey go go investigate egypt you know that's really what it's kind of telling you to do um in the Old Testament, it says Acts seven, <laughs> Acts eleven seven or seven eleven. It says Moses was learned in all the w- wisdom of the Egyptians and was wise wise with words and deeds or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he, the Moses who received you know the revelation from on high from God, God spoke to Moses, tells you ah eh, go to Egypt. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the same thing with uh, occultism, you know, is like every age, every century, the cultic just occultism will just say, okay, go back one more century, start looking there. Oh, one more, one more, one more, one more. And you just keep going back. And it's, it's like this perpetual, uh, you know, we're building on these ancient mystery schools that basically uh, keep telling us to go back. Yeah, and it's like, that, like what history is or numbers are. Are you uh, are you a guitar player? Yes. So when you played guitar, I don't know if it was like this with for you or when you were learning, uh, but I know like a lot of people, this was how it was. It was like eventually, it's like I got to keep going back. 
it's like, oh yeah, I, I really got into uh, Megadeth, Countdown to Extinction, and Metallica's Black Album when I was like, young, and I was really getting into this. And then my uncle came along, is like, oh yeah, but have you heard Ramble On by Led Zeppelin? I'm like, no, what the fuck is that? And then you hear Ramble <laughs> On, like, oh my god. And then Led Zeppelin, they tell you, is like, ah, oh, you got to go back and you got to listen to uh, R.L. Burnside or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you know, you just keep going back to find that route, and then you know, and that's sort of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Cause you, you know, you, 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 you want to be present and you want to think about the future, but you know, the best way to do that is to root down and to just go back as, as far as you can until your heart's content, because at some point you're going to get that spoonful of sugar. That's going to just make you cream out and fully get the understanding of, uh, of our, of our goodness of God. Oh, you know? I'm um, since we're on the subject of Egypt a little bit, uh, we told people that you're going to be on the show today in our in Telegram, and we have kind of a disgruntled uh, flat earther that asked a question. Oh yes, if you, thank you. If you feel comfortable answering it, or we can yeah, edit it out to you if you don't. But he says, uh, Marty used to uh, proclaim that the pyramids represented the roundness of the ball Earth with all the numbers and shit. How does the square? How does he square that circle? I actually did a whole video on this for disgruntled flat earth man about <laughs> number one, how this shows you that the people that are messing with this stuff that I fell for it too. So this is a guy that's basically proclaiming that I'm being duplicitous when mm -hmm. really all I'm doing is actually being completely forthright with people and saying that's like, Oh, I fell for the bullshit too. I was under the spell just like you. What so spell? There's that, but the spell being, so what we're told about the, the Great Pyramid of, of Giza, specifically Khufu, right, mm -hmm. is that its dimensions do represent what we're told about the spherical Earth, okay? And what, this, what the Great Pyramid of Giza is based on is a universal archetype of mathemat mathematics, which is, once again, this is universal information. No one's going to mess with this, is a process called squaring the circle, so in, when you square the circle with um, the perimeter equal to a circumference of a circle, when you make this sort of unity or balance of circle and square, what you, what you find within it is this axiomatic triangle. Now, it doesn't matter what your proportionality of this triangle could be. It could be a unit one, a unit 500, but the proportion will be the same. So what this, what the Great Pyramid, and this is provable, that's, you know, depend, you know depending on the measurements that it fits within the squared circle. So the, in other words, the great pyramids of Giza, which by the way, when the, when the Masons talk about, go back to Egypt, go back to Egypt, go back <laughs> to Egypt. Then you see the great pyramid of Giza squares the circle. What is the Freemason symbol? It's a circle and a square or a compass is in a square. So this proportionality fits within the squared circle. Now they tell us these wizards, they tell us that the proportions of the earth and the moon fit perfectly within there. So as a young, naive researcher trying to understand this stuff, I was like, holy shit. And other people have talked about this as well. I mean, this has been written by, I mean, Randall Carlson talks about this. John Michelle talks about this. Michael S. Schneider talks about this. Scott Onstad talks about this. Jane Mathmagics talks about this. So people who are still on the ball believe this to be true. So, you know, but what, what it actually tells you is that the people that are messing with our cosmology are doing it just as I said using divine wisdom, divine knowledge. And so now I did a whole video called 
squaring the circle and the, and the, uh, what is it called? Squaring the circle and the manipulation of our geocentric system or something like that. It's something like that, but showing how they're actually on all of the bodies, celestial bodies that they're using divine mathematics to basically screw with people. Hmm. So this is another thing that happens in the truth community. This ability Mm to do shit research assume somebody's evil and then go and because of one thing be like see that's what people do with masonry it no offense to that guy no offense to all the people that do that shit but your truth seeking sucks balls dude yeah (laughs) sucks sucks it it doesn't start with the research too you know it starts with like uh like really kind of how you deal with your own questions to and how you answer questions that you ask yourself you know when you're going into the truth seeking realm you're obviously going through an awakening of some sort or you had, you know, but it's like, you can only look and read things and, and, and just them. If you are already at a comfortable place and yourself, that's, that is a non-toxic way of answering questions that you will ask yourself, you know? Um, and like, it sucks because the flat earth realm is like, man, I'm like, I'm digging what you guys are, you know, questioning, you know, the fact, of whether or not we've been lied to if there's suppression but you know it's an incredibly toxic field of people that are into it and it's it's, well that's it's hard i mean truth seeking is you know i mean there's you know it's a it's a it's a jungle out there it really is (laughs) yes um so it just is what it is so but yeah anyway it's all it's all beautiful you know in due time people come around and that's fine we're here now and we um you know, I, I'm digging what, what we've been doing today, even though it's not really, uh, I think this encompasses a lot of, you know, when you want to look at ancient civilizations and understanding ancient civilizations, understanding these things, these types of philosophies are, are what's going to help you, um, grammatically source out, you know, and line things up, you know, what makes sense to you and, and understanding these. You have a really fluid way of, of bringing um, philosophical spiritualism, I guess, or something like it's, you have a really great, beautiful way of, uh, of doing that. And I, I think it's important when, uh, when we're digging into these studies to, uh, to really kind of like just take a simple way of, of, of listening and understanding. And you do a great job of that. So that, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's, it's interesting too, because the first, like I'm rewriting my old books, volume one through three, and this book I wrote called Peacock's Tales, because I wrote them in like 2014, 15. And so I, and when I wrote those books, I even said that this is a, this is an exploration. This is an adventure. This is literally expl- exploring these ideas because I, I didn't know, like, I, you know, I was like, I'm writing this stuff out to be like, okay, let's see what sticks. I even talked about that in my books, basically talking about how it's like, I needed to go and, and explore things. And when you explore any genuine seeker will go down paths where they're like, you'll go down a path for sometimes a year or two or whatever. And next thing you know, this is bringing me no fruit whatsoever. Right. So only if you have the confidence to, to say to yourself, to look at yourself and be like, well, I done fucked up. I'm going to have to go back all the way back <laughs> and then get on the right path. And so that takes vulnerability. It takes, um, it takes strength. It takes courage. And in, in that path of exploring and things like that, a lot of people will assume, because it happens a lot in the truther movement where people will come out and tell you like, this is the truth. 
I know it. Q is behind this or Donald Trump is our savior or the earth is flat or it's not flat or whatever it is, you know, and there's not enough people that are, you know, and I think we're starting to see it more, but not enough people that are just exploring ideas to say, hey, let's explore this. Let's see if it bears any fruit. And if it doesn't, well, then let's move on and let's be adult about it. You know, one of the things that I had to say after doing all this was um, I made Flat Earth the Ultimate Limits Test. So I had to come out to 40,000 people that were following me on YouTube and saying, I don't believe that shit anymore. was totally, totally fooled by it. You know, so that I knew coming out and saying that people were going to just hate me. And they certainly did. But at the end of the day, I was like, I'm not going to sacrifice my integrity, my dignity and my absolute genuine pursuance of truth because you can't handle the conversation or you want to, you know what I mean? Or because you're going to be like, oh, that guy says this thing about masonry here. I don't really give a shit what you think. No offense. Sorry. I'm a pretty big anti-flat earther. Uh, I talk about it on the show often. Uh, one of the problems that I have a hard time understanding for me personally is like, and I feel like I can ask you this question because you know a lot about geometry and geometry and all those things is is to me when you when you see like the the sacred geometry and everything you realize that there's nothing really flat in life so why would the earth be flat that's like the hard thing i have as above so below if everything above is spherical or whatnot then why would the earth be a flat plane even if you have a firmament above you would still have a firmament below what do you mean? Oh, from, oh, well, there probably is. a. I mean, there probably is some sort of firmament below, honestly. I mean, <laughs> we can't know that because we can't step outside the construct, period. Right. Any flat earther that says this is what it is. No, you, you can't know because you would have to step outside and say that this is a dome and I can see the dome. Even if we were to go to the edge of the earth and touch some crystalline dome, that's actually there. Well, unless you can fly all the way up to the top and, and touch it up there. That's the only way you can possibly know. So, right, you know, this is, uh, let me say this. There's, understanding our cosmology is super important. Forget about flat earth and forget about ball earth. Forget about that shit right now. Just get it out of your head, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say that all three of us have no idea where we are, right? Okay, we well, we don't. Right? <laughs> That's true. Well, we, we do, well, well, I mean, we can say we're, I, I think I have an idea where we are. But anyway, that's the other <laughs> Upstairs, no one's, you know, because I don't trust NASA at all. And in order to believe, I mean, in order to believe NASA, you got to believe a bunch of absolute nonsense. But yeah. no one has gone up there, up. So no one knows what it's like on the surface of the moon. No one knows what it's like on the surface of Sirius. No one knows there's not a car driving around in freaking Mars and it's all sand and stuff like that. No one, you know, that sort of thing. So no one's been up there. So that is a, that is literally by definition, metaphysical meta meaning beyond physical being the physical. We can get together and we can shake hands and have beers, whatever that's physicality, but up there, it's not, as far as we know, it's not physical. So when we see something round like the sun automatically, somebody will say, well, if everything's a sphere zero, you can know if that's a sphere. As far as we know, it's, it could be a flat circle. And if it's not physical, <laughs> if it's literally by definition metaphysical, and by metaphysical, I mean just like the, the just like the metaphysicality of a rainbow, no different. 
Is there an actual physical rainbow there? No. So we may see the sun, we may see the moon, but we can't prove that it's a sphere at all. That said, the, one of the arguments they say like, okay, well, you know, just because it's, you know, you don't see anything flat up there. Well, those things could be flat, but just because we see, you know, those metaphysical objects here doesn't mean that the ground that we're walking, walking on, excuse me, isn't flat. Look, once again, the, the example that's brought up all the time, we say, well, the balls on top of the billiards table are round. Why isn't the table round? <laughs> is that an argument do people make that argument <laughs> well, well no it's like it's an example to say when you say well yeah. the things up there are spherical and why isn't it below yeah well in the well, micro they're two different things you know and the my other counter to that would be to the micro in the microcosm it is spherical also well, now atoms then get, and then we get into else. the circle and the square then yeah. we get into the idea that the heaven is a circle, earth is a square. What is a square? It's a flat plane. And by the way, when you say that there's nothing flat, well, geometry tells us otherwise because the earth is flat. Geometrically, there is zero curvature, and we can prove that. We can, we can show that there's topography, but geo, geometry means earth measure. That's what it means. Geo mm-hmm. means earth. Metry means to measure. So if we're going to take geometry seriously, right? And which we should, because it's universal, just as you said, three, four, five. Then when we go to actually measure the earth, we should be able to find curvature. Now, it would be questionable if we didn't know how much curvature they're saying that the earth is. But they're telling us exactly how much curvature. In fact, it's based on squaring the circle. And we can prove that that's bullshit. We can prove it with geometry. So to me, like it doesn't, uh, like I have zero, there's zero conflict with saying that the earth is flat because geometrically we can prove it. So not only that, look at every other culture before us, the Egyptians thought the earth was flat. In fact, when I was talking about this stuff, one of the things that always bothered me was that, look, I studied Egyptology a lot, a lot. And you know what they always said? Earth's flat and there's a dome, four corners. Where, where, so is, as I'm talking where is about that at? Egypt? Yeah, where's that at? Yeah, Mayans, they believe it. Earth is flat. You know, people people assume that. I mean, you can go into the Egypt stuff and find so much there as far as like comparative mythology about essentially where common themes come from. But one of the common themes is that the Earth is flat, stationary essentially four corners, has a dome. And this is expressed in clearly in the Norse myth. It's clearly expressed in, yeah, it's clearly expressed in Hinduism. And, you know, the, I mean, the sun, you know, think about it this way. There's nothing in the Egyptian, nothing anywhere in the Egyptian, like book of the dad or any of that stuff, right. That says anything about galaxies and infinite space and an expanding universe and nothing, literally nothing. But you do see, oh, so the sun god Ra is on a solar bark going across the sky and then going into the other world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's, so, I'm wondering how much of these, uh, you know, kind of thinking about because they were all like very heavily into spiritual symbolism, and we, I mean, it's symbolism to us because we have to decode it, right? So it's like seems symbolic, but uh, like the four corners of Earth can also. To, in my in my understanding can be like four corners of our minds and like these understandings of you know to have our home be the same as our consciousness 
And in order to have the mastery or the, you know, the, another version of my story or, uh, my story, the mastery, um, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of that too. And so like, it's almost as if, um, you know, they, the stories would correlate between talking about actual earth and then talking about what it is in the consciousness and then differentiating the two. It's actually a really salient point because when you get into the mystical angle of this, right, it's this notion that we just, I just talked about this today about the notion that there's like the, a singular spark of God within you. And then a total, you know, like a, basically a singularity of God's consciousness and then a total consciousness of God and the total consciousness of God is the creation. Okay. Now we can wrap that up. However, we want to see, see fit in a dome, a ball, whatever you want to say, right? But ultimately, and this is something, once again, I wrote about when I was still on the ball. And I wrote about this in volume two of the book. I said, volume two and, and three, I think, where I said, it doesn't really matter what the construct is from your perspective. And this is true for everybody. Everything is revolving around you. You know what I'm saying? Like from where you are, that <laughs> yeah. sun's going this and it's going, oh, and I get my perspective and it's going there and it goes 180 degrees and then it's going under and it's coming. And that's for you and that's for you and that's for everybody. So in this, once again, mystic perspective, when you talk about your cosmology, this is one of the most important things because it, it's very uh, matrixy, dreamlike, illusory. Mm. And then when you realize that everything in the material realm is fleeting and passing, Essentially, all matter deteriorates, right? That sort of thing. You're in a body. You're going to die. That body's going to go and, you know, go into the ground and, you know, that sort of thing. Everything is fleeting. Everything is passing. Everything is transient and fluid down here. And so when you get to the cosmology aspect of it, I think the religious angle is really to to find the, the notion that, well, it's, as I said today, God is whose circumference everywhere or God is whose center everywhere and circumference nowhere. God is whose center everywhere and circumference nowhere. I think, I think saying, wow, that's cool. Yeah. I like that. that because it's basically saying, look, you're the center of the thing. So we could argue the, all day. The radius. Flat or radius. If yeah. If it's this or whatever, but at the end of the day, you have to get, you have to come back to square one and say, once again, as, as back we started, to the started yeah, we started this conversation saying, what does this have to do with me? You know, mm-hmm. and it puts mm-hmm. it puts cosmology back into your hands. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, man, I, that, that's beautiful because that's kind of what I was trying to paint the picture with there. You know, like like that's our cosmology as well as the Earth's cosmology. And so, when you can understand astrology in in correspondence to the cosmos, the cosmology that's also the same as you because we are made of the same and we are the same and we you know the Toyota field and all those things. So yeah, that's beautifully put. And I, I try to live my life like that. You know, I, I, I mean, I think we're all enthralled by the moon when the full, when the full moon happens, like there's an enthrallment there. We're all and encapsulated by the sunshine. The sun hits your skin. I mean, what is more God than that? When you just sit there and you're just like, I can do this forever. I mean, like, yeah, baby, let's go, you know, a little bit of water from time to time. Um, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what happened to alchemy, man? Like what, what happened in like the 17th, 18th century that just smushed alchemy? I mean, who knows about the historical, you know, actually, cause you know, I don't, I don't really trust and I have zero reason to either the, um, 
linear historical time that we're even given for the last 300 years. I, I mean, I, I, after years and years of looking at this now too, especially all the information that's come out in the last three to four, after about 150, you know, maybe 200 years, I think it's all a big freaking question mark. I don't, you know, I'm not saying that we can, we can just throw it all out as far as what we're told, but we can't trust it. And so I don't, when I try to make, uh, when I try to give my perspective of things, I never anchor it. And then like, well, this happened back in this day. And then I'm going to go from that assumption to whatever. So in that, when we're, you know, what we're told about alchemy is that, yeah, there was obviously, it seems anyway, like, as you're saying, like it was, uh, there was a flourishing of it. Right. And so what happened from there? Well, the same thing that happens with all of the ancient divine wisdom, it goes under attack, you know, just, just like, just like human beings, freedoms, it's the same sort of thing. You know, we go through this state of, you know, being free. And then all of a sudden slowly over time, you know, the devil creeps in, if you, if you will, that's what I think happens with divine knowledge. Um, And I think it's cyclical, just like everything down here. Right. Um, You know, the seasons, the day and night, everything has that cycle. So we, and the Bible even talks about this. I actually spoke about this today where it's a, it's Amos 8, 11. Um, where it basically says that people will be hungry or there'll be a famine for the word. So in other words, the, you know, the word being the truth, the order, the way, that sort of thing. So at points we're like hungry for it. We just don't, we lose touch with the source. We lose touch with who we are. We lose touch with our, our earth and what it really is. We lose touch with how important we are. We lose touch with the, the notion that we're God's children, that we have inherent rights that are gifted to us by the divine from on high. We lose that and we lose that and lose that. So I think that's probably what happened, you know? And then of course you have the evil factions of the world that upon losing it slowly, but surely over time, then come in and start manipulating, mm-hmm. you know? So it's super crazy to think about. I, I kind of thought when you were saying, uh, the cycles and, you know, like cyclical time, right? This wheel of time thinking about there's generally in most cycles, it's four it breaks up into four, right? Over however long it can be one century at a time, you know, it could be the 25,000, 2,500 years, you know, whatever the, you know, the equinox, what, what have you, but just like on the big picture thing without putting real numbers to it, I feel like this, there's a time period when this really beautiful divine knowledge comes up in a cycle and it's, it's brought up organically. It's happens understanding and people put their energy in it and it's beautiful, beautiful. It hits a climax and then boom, it starts to decline. And then on that, the parasites kind of take over and then they demonize the demonize, demonize, and then that cycle ends. And then the new cycle starts where thus we kind of get this new. So we'll always have like alchemy. We'll always have the mystery schools. We'll always have the things that were brought up in the high time and then it'll be swashed. So, you know, that's just kind of like my uh, vision of it when you were talking about that. Cause I've been looking a lot very recently, especially these past couple of years of cyclical time. I mean, you know, like I did like a Henry Ford and Tesla, right? Were uh, 2003, 1903. The, the first penny mint was 1909 and then Bitcoin came out in 2009. Spanish flu in 1918, coronavirus. 
2018, 2019. You know what I mean? And it's like, we're looking like we're going to hit a fucking Great Depression in 2029. And it's like, hmm, tell me about this cyclical time. And so it's, I'm wondering what is this divine, um, you know, this, cause at the same time of the great reset, we have the great awakening too. Mm-hmm. And so what is the great mystery understandings and, uh, of, of this time? I mean, you know, I think obviously we're in a a low consciousness, but coming out of it, I think, I think we're in a shift, you know, I mean, I have to say, I think because like, I can't pin it to anything except the stars, but we have no idea if it's, you know, I mean, obviously it's, if there is these things, which they absolutely seems like there are, it would be related to grand cycles of time. What those are, as you're saying, is it the procession of the equinox? There's strong ties to that in mystical literature. The processional numbers, 25,920 is absolutely encoded in the name of Christ. There's no question. It's really oh, easy to find too. Uh, dramatically, magically, yeah. dramatical like yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, mathematically, right? Um, so yeah, but once again, I, I, can we prove that? I don't know. But it seems like we're in a shift because one of the markers is because we see these evil people that are saying, as you're saying, that they, they're parasites and they sort of latch on to these time periods where you see their shifts and they monopolize on them. And I think that's what's going on. Because they know that there's sort of a natural shift happening in consciousness or whatever it is, time periods, ages, and they're utilizing that. So, um, and I mean, just you, you have to think about like, even in your own life, like to, if, if you would have told me at 15, 15 years old, that the, there would be millions of people that think the earth is flat and that I would be starting a church and writing a book on Jesus Christ. I think you're freaking nuts because all, you know, but now all of that is not only like pal, understandably palatable, like it makes sense to me, but it's also growing that essential knowledge of people waking up is growing. So that tells me yet again, we're in some special time period because this wasn't happening when I was 15 and it wasn't happening in 1970 and it wasn't happening in 1984. And you know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I, you know, I think, I think we're going to come into a lot more knowledge in the next 10 years about understanding what's, what's actually going on. And then eventually we'll lose it. (laughs) Yeah. That's inevitable. It fucking works down here. That's how it works down here. I mean, it's, it, it, understanding that is just understanding the cycle of the seasons. So why would we assume that if that's, you know what I mean, that it wouldn't work that way as well? So that's all I got. Dan, oh, Dan, you going in? I thought you were going to say something. Uh, no, I thought you were Roman. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously I have a lot of things to say. I wanted to kind of maybe ask you what you're, how you, without, you know, uh, giving too much away because I want people to go check out your sermons on Sunday. If you are, because uh, a lot of people, you know, we go into like some like, uh, you know, a lot of different understandings. We went through a whole God uh, Satan month, you know. So we have we have some people that that really uh, vibe with the Christ like and and the Gnosticism. And then we also have heathens that listen to our show, and we have you know all these people. But um, uh, you know, it's. So there's this type of um, kind of judgment that gets automatically put on 
a service on Sunday that has to do with the Bible and has to do with, you know, Christ. Those things are things that people cringe at just naturally, especially in America. They cringe at it. But what I want you guys to do is to check it out because I guarantee you it'll be the best Sunday service you will have ever uh, done because it's it's beautifully alchemical and uh, I, I just love it, man. I think it's great. Um, but we, you know, can I'm going to tr- say something quick. Yeah, yeah. I'm just glad you're saying that because one of the reasons I, I mean, sort of a rebellious kind of iconoclastic urge in me or whatever. But one of the reasons that I was like, I don't want to say like, oh, how am I saying this? Like, sorry, I don't want to lose my train of thought here, but. I think one of the reasons that I'm like doing Sunday services and things like that is to try to give people a different perspective on it because it's been, you know, it's the same thing I'm doing with masonry as well. Like I know that there's going to be a lot of people like you're saying, there's like, ah, whatever, but I'm like, just hold on. You know, I want to sort of like wipe your head clean of all the dirt and bullshit and baggage that's been put in your head over the years on this stuff. Wipe it clean, get it out of there, wipe the slate clean and then go in fresh. So to me, there was a part of, I don't know, it was almost like a rebellious sort of thing of doing Sunday services as well, because I'm like, no, I, this sounds once again, narcissistic or egotistical or something like that. But it's like, I know you guys have no idea what you're talking about. I know that you have zero (laughs) understanding of that freaking book. And I do. And so I am going to start teaching it on Sunday and we're going to do a service and we're going to teach this stuff. And so I don't know. It was, there's a, there's a pit of, there's a bit of a trickster in me. Let's just say that there is, you know, it's just so. Loki, you got to, man. To everybody. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Uh, uh, (laughs) I don't know. That's Here's, a nice microphone. Uh, I need that microphone, by the way. Oh yeah, that yeah. is a nice. Yeah, it's, it's a nice mic. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Um, so. The touch <laughs> volume on it too. You can just slide your finger on the volume bar. Yeah, too. that's nice. Yeah, I need to get a yeah a condenser for recording. So, anywho, mm. you will. It'll be beautiful. Your the Marty Lead Studio is going to be a uh, a fruitful divine place. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Um. What else can we get into here? What what is what is your feelings on like Tartaria and like the America uh before with all these structures going on in America? Do you think that maybe biblically that America could have been um the the fertile crescent? Um I mean, I don't know. You know, I th- you know from what I see from old maps and things like that, that it was settled and there was definitely different classes. Like they were like, as far as it seems anyway, from the whenever, you know, you're picking up the scattered remains of history is really what you're doing and trying mm-hmm. to make sense of it. So at some point you have to just say, look, this is conjecture because it is. But as far as I could tell, like a lot of these buildings, like you see, all the world's fair buildings and some of these capital buildings that burn. There was all the old architecture that a lot of it seems like it was built by giants. I think there was a period where native tribes that still lived in the woods and things like that also inter- intermingled with people that lived in the city. And that, that, you know what I mean? I think there was that kind of society going on. Um, that's what it seems like anyway. But I mean, God, we have no idea. I mean, what I what I do know is that what we're taught about 
you know, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, got here. It was like, oh, there was nothing here. And then, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, there was people here. There was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was Native yeah. Americans. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, th- even that story that it was just Native Americans and they were all, you know, savage, whatever. Yeah. It's it's crap. It's nonsense. You mm. know, I mean, that is literally just a fairy tale. It's no different than, I don't know, the Easter Bunny or whatever, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. The Thanksgiving story, right? Like, it's just like, yeah, let's embed ourselves in this bullshit and eat. I mean, granted, the eating the food in the community is the greatest part about that. You know, that's something yeah. that, that humans need. And so that's something that's been socially uh, socially engineered over the years to just like, right? Remember how much you love community and being social and family? All right, well, let's tie a strange story to it so you can have fond memories to do. <laughs> to, of when to, the uh, white people came here and... Yes. They, yeah. <laughs> and we gifted people. them things. Blankets, in fact. You never cold. What's like, I don't, I don't trust any of that. You know, I mean, also, I, there's, there's several reasons why, too. I mean, I can tell you personally, like in my family, I have Menominee roots. So when my grandmother died, um, you didn't see, you know, I was young, um, but, you know, we have pictures and stuff. When she died, you could really see the native American in her. Right. And so I have roots of that. And the, the family lineage that we do have, I, we have a Frenchman that married uh, a Menominee woman full, you know, he was hundred percent French and she was hundred percent Menominee. So we're told this sort of story about the wicked white men that came here and they raped and destroyed. And I doesn't say there isn't stuff like that, that happened or whatever, but the quote unquote white men, Chances are we're the federal government, not not the white people that were trying to destroy everything. So in my own family, where I'm stock from, we have verifiably a Frenchman voluntarily marrying a 100% Menominee woman. So that story about they came here and raped and pillaged, every, that sort of thing is just what well, doesn't even make sense in my family, you know. The other thing that's, you know, you look back and even go so far as what we're told about the Civil War. I mean, I've done my own pretty due diligence with that. And there's been other researchers that I really respect that have done some due diligence, too. Um, that's horseshit. What we're taught about that, the slave, you know, the thing about slavery, that that was the main thing. And that's nonsense. It was basically people that were trying to uh, defend their rights from a corrupt federal government. But it got turned into the story about how it was the racist Southern Southerners and they just wanted to keep all their slaves and blah, 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 blah. And that's absolute crap. You know, I mean, you actually go into the history of that. It was, I think they, you know, they even like census records, they said that it's like, I, I don't know, it's like 1.5% of the population owned slaves. So, and, and there was many people that fought, remember, I don't need to go on some freaking diatribe here or anything like that but there were native americans and blacks that fought in the south for slavery what it doesn't make any sense (laughs) it makes any sense whatsoever but it there's we have pictures of that that sort of stuff now that isn't shared by the the narrative that we're taught about that and this is once again when we go into history we can say we can't throw all of history out but what we can say is what we're told about it is 100 horse shit you know most of the states that fought in the South too were not even cotton growing states. So they didn't have the mass plantations of slaves. 
but yet they were still fighting for slavery. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. No, yeah. they were, they're fighting the same thing that we're fighting today, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A corrupt as fuck, satanic federal government. And you know, I actually did a whole live stream on this that you can get at my site, GnosticAcademy.org, about Albert Pike, the fall of Albert Pike. Oh, talking wow. about how Albert Pike, when you actually go in and you know read the stuff, he was fighting for the South, and he actually made this clear to people. He actually wrote a whole document that, that was handing out, handed out to the people of um, Arkansas. But he explained this whole thing. He's like, look, you're being fooled into war right now. They're trying to blame it all on slaves. And really what it is, is they're destroying our way of life. Hmm. So, you know, that if we can't trust, you know, whatever, a couple hundred years ago, whatever, you, t- you know, 500 years, 600 years, just forget it. Forget <laughs> yeah. it. You know? Yeah. Um, well, we're. We are doing lost civilizations uh, this month. I'm I'm going to get in uh, to some flat Earth with you in, in a second, but uh, how what do you feel about Lemuria or Atlantis being a, a plausible lost civilization? Seems like we have many things, many ideas coming from Egypt, which thought the Atlantean uh, Hermeticism and all this stuff. They obviously had to have known something. It didn't just come out of nowhere. So do you give any validity to the idea of these lost civilizations? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, I think it's it's more on par, too, with, you know, when we talked about Egypt, about how there's, or you know, masonry and there's sort of this mythology, like, where did it come from? And there's sort of all these stories and myths and tales about, oh, it starts for this guy and this guy and this guy. I think with the lost civilization thing, you have sort of the same thing that's going on. Um, And there's been lots of, and I think it's there, part of that is there to tell you about cycles of time, you know, Mm -hmm. so because it, it, you know, understanding that helps you understand where you are in those cycles of time, that sort of stuff. So yeah, I mean, Atlanta, Atlantis, Lemur, Lemuria. I mean, think about the, um, look at the city of Atlanta. Yeah. And, and Atlantic Ocean and ATL. And, you know, the, in fact, I think in the Mayan language, I'm pretty sure this is true. Atl means water. Yeah, so, it means surrounded by water. Yeah. Yeah, like Quetzalcoatl means co-serpent. Atl means water. Quetzal is a bird. So it's a bird, serpent, water, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, so yeah, it's like echoes. Native Americans are plumed, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Kukan, Quetzalcoatl, yeah. same sort of figure. Once again, you know, uh, Aztec, Mayan. It's no, it's just same sort of. It's the Christ figure reemerging, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Same sort of elements too. So, yeah, um, for sure. So, I mean, um, yeah, I kind of brought that thing, up. Go ahead. The, the other thing, the, uh, one of the great authors that I love so much is James Joyce. And his work was um, especially the essentially unreadable uh, Finnegan's Wake is all about this, is about how human beings are, we're stuck in this sort of wheel of fortune, wheel of fate, wheel of karma, you know, and these cycles come back again. Like you're saying, there's a reflection like, oh, 1918, that was a flu. Oh. Now, now, 2018, this sort of thing. And that's kind of what happens. It's And there's a underlying theme to all of it. And it's basically this. It's the same story 
And it's just different retellings and recapitulations. And it's just happening again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And it's essentially man living, coming into the world as an ignorant fool and, and ultimately finding God. Hmm. And the, yeah. and the cycles reflect that. Once again, it's this sort of darkness to light, sun moving down into winter, going back up into, you know, summer. It's, it's just telling this tale again and again and again in your life, in our lives. And so, um, yeah, I wanted to get into flat earth a little bit with you, uh, mostly not the whole concept or whatever, but the lost continents that kind of exist in this flat earth idea beyond the ice wall, uh, type lands and stuff like that. How much, is there a lot, anything you know about that? Or I know there's not a lot of evidence or support to that type of stuff and maybe it's figuratively but is there any knowledge that you have about that type of stuff unless we go there it's impossible to know right it becomes it's really just speculation and theorizing so i try to stay away from that but i will say this looking at the construct of how far out the sun goes on you know if if we're looking at the flat earth right Mm -hmm. how far out the sun goes it's it's basically there's um i mean in in um like celestial mechanics or like Newtonian physics. I think they call this the Goldilocks zone, right? Where the sun is just so far away from earth that we sit in this nice little area where complex biological organisms can form and blah, 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 blah. Right. The sun on, you know, in the flat earth cosmology sort of creates a Goldilocks zone where it's, you know, you can live in, you get closer to the tropics is really, really nice. Like in, in Hawaii. And then you're up North in Wisconsin. It's, there's still snow, you know, and if you keep going more north, it gets harder and harder to survive. So the same sort of thing when you go out, it seems, I mean, we have pictures of an ice wall, loads and loads and loads of pictures of an ice wall. And so, and it seems that you keep going out, it's less hospitable. And so to say there's another landmass that's out there, well, unless there's like another sun out there that we don't know of, which once again could be, but it's complete speculation, unless you can go out there and know it, it's once again, we're just, you know, just shooting in the wind kind of thing. So for me, the, the construct of earth that we understand kind of prevents more land being out there, but that doesn't say that there isn't stuff in Antarctica that they're hiding. And I also, you know, the North pole is a big question mark too. Mm-hmm. Like what's up there. The center, you mean the center of the earth? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the, I mean, it's a pole too, you know, it's like literally that's where the pole star is that's the yeah, yeah. star so when you talk about it in that sense here's a here's another thing mysticism you know when you talk about the axis mundi yeah. right the center pole of the earth whatever the construct of earth is that is within you and that's something that's mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's just all over esoteric literature and so that's the idea that you're a reflection of the creation which gets back to that whole you know goddess who's center everywhere and circumference nowhere kind of thing you know yeah yeah, it's a, that's a beautiful phrase right there. I think that's like a, a cool little bumper sticker. I'd slap that on my guitar case all day. <laughs> cool, are, are you into like uh, alien stuff much? I never, I, it, it never got me. Same. <laughs> Ever. I, yeah. uh, every time I tried to get into, you know, I'm not even trying to get into it. I was just like, oh, maybe there's something here. And then I was like, these people are idiots. And then you see that, like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say that, but you know, you go to like a U- UFO conference or if you see them, there's like, 
these people just speculating wildly with crazy <laughs> imaginations and being like, well, can you prove any of that? And it was like, well, I, you know, I had this experience and stuff. I'll never forget. Speaking of this, I was riding with, uh, this was 2015. I did the modern knowledge tour across Canada. So we did, I think five, six dates up there where I spoke and I was with David Whitehead. We drove across the whole uh, country. M- most of it anyway. The way of the truth warrior. Yeah, David, David Wade, a truth warrior. And he, and you know, I, I was flattered throughout the time and I never got into UFO stuff. And he was trying to sell me on uh, Richard Dolan. And so I was like, okay, let's listen to what Richard Dolan has to say. And he put him on and it was like this hour interview. And I got to the end and I was like, there's literally nothing he said that you could prove. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Mm-hmm. It was all just like, well, we have this document here from the, you know, government and these people have this experience here and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, at the end of the day, okay, cool. You know, just running circles. Find, yeah. As I've come to find, there's a lot of people that tend to be full of shit in the world. <laughs> so, you know, and um, yeah, anyway, that's my experience with the UFO stuff. I just never, never got into it. Hmm. Though I do like the movie Contact. I will say that. That's a good movie. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, started watching this three-part series called Children's Children Gone or Children's Gone. It's written by Arthur C. Clarke uh, right before he wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey. And that's another – I mean, it's talk about like Gnostic symbolism, uh, a lot of like yeah, – Arthur C. Clarke was just like – I think he was in Rosicrucian. I think that's like kind of like the play on his name. I'm not sure if Arthur C. Clarke was his real name, but like you have the R C there, you know, mm-hmm. and Arthur is author. It's an R author and C and R C Rosicrucian. And then like the, uh, Georgia Guidestones, right? Like R C all over the place. You have, um, Cross, yeah. Yeah. You have HPs and you have RCs. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, Marty, um, you know, because you do such a great job at decoding, um, a lot of the Bible. Um, is there a philosopher stone's journey in that? Uh, you know, uh, is there some, do we meet anybody? Is Jesus on the, on the way to making his philosopher stone in the, not like the modern sense of understanding, but you know, this, this alchemical sense, is there, entitled in that like are is there anywhere in there that they they are they are concocting these uh uh, alchemical processes with magnesia or you know uh mercury or anything like that okay well let me answer it this way so christ itself himself is the philosopher's stone i actually talk about that boom Nice. The, the the book I, I i don't know maybe 20 page 10 pages on it or something like that you know it's part of a whole chapter on kabbalah in your um, new book yeah nice so chapters probably like 100 pages or something like that and i think 10 is dedicated specifically to the philosopher's stone but you know part of, um okay so that let me say that then you get to like the alchemical uh treaties where there's like you know, where it's like there's analogs to chemistry happening there, right? I'm not going to say anything about that because I don't do that. You know, I don't do like specific chemistry, though. We, you know, it's absolutely known that the 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 functions or whatever you want to say in alchemy are obviously represented by nature. That's what it's one of the things it's doing. Like an alchemical transformation is the substan- transubstantiation of the soul, which is exactly what we're talking about: light to dark, you know, dark to light. The day to night, you know, that sort of thing. 
So I don't, you know, I don't know as far as like chemical formulas and stuff like that, but what is clear crystal crystalline clear without within alchemical literature is that it is ultimately anchored in a spiritual pursuit. So it is not a physical art. It's a metaphysical transformation. Yeah. So it isn't to say that ancient alchemists didn't turn lead into gold or something like that. I mean, I, I don't know unless I've seen somebody do it or whatever, but ultimately that's not what it's about. And I think it's pretty clear. And then to, to further add to that, there's also a bunch of alchemy, like illustrations and ideas and stuff like that, that are coupled with alchemy that make no sense at all. When you talk about specifically pure chemistry, it doesn't make any sense. Like what is, what is it in chemistry? What does it have to do with the compasses in a square? I mean, I, you know, whatever, I guess they're dealing with math is the same, you know, you could say, make that argument, but there's all sorts of stuff like that. Um, but then again, there are alchemical, you know, like actual chemistry. In fact, um, oh, Jesus, what's his name? Timothy Hogan. Timothy Hogan is a 32nd, maybe 33rd degree Mason. He's written a couple really great books. And he, he did a whole presentation about going through the steps of masonry and how, showing how they're an analog to actual chemistry processes. And it's, it's fascinating. Wow. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and I think there's a lot of legitimacy there, but like I said, at the end of the day, ultimately it is about metaphysics because one of the parts about alchemy is about turning lead into gold. And it's always understood that if like, you're trying to, you know, get rich off this, you're constantly going to be evaded from the path, which tells you that whatever gold you're seeking of isn't physical and gold is one of the metals that's incorruptible. So it's hence why, like, if you, you know, if there's a treasure that's at the bottom of the ocean, a, a, a ship sank and you go to the treasure and there's gold in there, the gold's going to be fine because it's incorruptible. So that incorruption that you seek is spiritual. Hmm. Wow. What, what would you say about the number 33? I mean, there's a lot of talk about the number 33. What is, what do you think the representation of that number really is? Um, there's, okay. There's lots of things to say here. Um, <laughs> great. Good. It's in his name. <laughs> All numbers. Oh my God. Certain numbers when you're learning number symbolism, you know, when you get into like numerology, number symbolism, Kabbalah, sacred geometry, all of these studies, there are certain numbers that become like sort of lighthouses that on your path that kind of tell you like, Hey, there's something special going on here or you're on the right path. One of those numbers is 108. You'll find that a lot of people that get into sacred geometry or even base level understanding of comparative mythology and stuff like that, you'll see this number come up again and again, 108, 108. Another one is seven. It's like, you'll see seven utilized by all sorts of different religions. There's this hyper focus on it in Revelation. Genesis tells us it's created, the world is created in six and resting on seven, you know, et cetera. So 33 is one of those numbers and hence why there's a, a focus on it. A lot of people will see that number. And this is once again, lazy. This is the lazy research that happens in the truth community. They'll say, well, that's a number of masonry. Mm -hmm. and that's the only thing they'll attribute it to. Well, right. yeah, there's a number of masonry, but it's actually a number specifically of the Scottish Rite, which is essentially a, a, a branch of masonry, that sort of thing. It's another lodge. 
not specifically Blue Lodge. Blue Lodge only has three degrees. But once again, laziness will just be like, well, 33rd degree kind of thing. But you know, I always said I use Marty Leeds 33 for the I still do. But I used it for the many, many years. And I and I used it specifically alchemically because I wanted to keep people away that were going to be like, oh, that guy has 33 in his name. He must be a Satan worshiper, blah, 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 blah. I didn't want those people around because I'm like, well, you haven't done 101 in 101 study of any of this shit. If that's what you're the conclusion that you're coming to. Sorry. Um, so there's that. But um, 33 is a number that's attributed to Christ. Right. So in my studies of once again, coming at this with completely, uh, you know, number one, naive and ignorant at, at first, but um, I didn't, I wasn't anchored into anything. I didn't have any baggage. I was like, I'm just going to figure this out. When I, when I heard that Christ lived allegedly to 32 or 33 years, because it's actually not specified, you know, in the Bible, it says, it says, oh, started his ministry around age 30. And then he had ministry lasted for three years. Well, was he 32 or 33? So I saw that and I was like, well, wait a second. Why is 32 and 33? Why is everybody considering this, this evil number when it's specifically tied to Christ? Then another one that was like, um, I'll get to 30, back to 33 in just a second. I promise. Another one that really struck me was 13. Triscodectophobia, the fear of the number 13. Buildings won't have a 13th floor. People will be like, ah, 13 is evil. And then once again, Jesus hung around 12 dudes. I can do basic math. That tells me that's 13. (laughs) But yet we're told to fear this stuff. Why? Is 13 going to come and bite me in the ass or something? No, it's ridiculous, right? It might. It might. Yeah, right. It's going to bite you in the ass to give you the step forward that you need to take in order to follow the numbers. So 33 has all of these specific characteristics that just make it really, um, I don't know, it's one of those nuanced numbers. There's all these things that you can get from it, like the 33rd, you know, the 33rd prime is the number 137. Well, once again, you go out into nature and you're going to find plants will grow in a specific degree. And that degree will be roughly 137. It's 137.5. So here's this number that just making one simple connection can all of a sudden be like, wait a second, that's a pattern all throughout nature. Provable, demonstrable. You can take your damn, you know, protractor and go up to a plant and see it yourself. So I got to that stuff and I was like, why is everybody fearing this stuff? Why is everybody assume 33 is evil? You know, that's just one example. Um, so yeah, anyway. So there's yeah. lots of thing, lots of things to talk about with those numbers. Yeah. So so, so in in the Masonic idea, it's the 33 is to represent the Christ consciousness or the Christ being personified you know symbolically yes you know it's really it's really what it is like you that's more the meaning of the number 33 that people kind of associate to evil masons but really has connectivity to the god man yeah i mean it's a i mean once again this is a natural ascension the 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 what it what um what um, Scottish Rite is reflecting is that once again, that natural ascension process that's that's in nature, that's inherent within the creation itself, right? It's a process of going low, starting low is the fool, ignorant, whatever, and and going through progressive stages of you know unlearning, 
relearning, figuring what's true, finding yourself, centering yourself. And it's the stages of climbing up the ladder, walking up the stairway to heaven, whatever, you know, whatever sort of metaphor or symbols you want to. The spine. I was just going to say, then yeah. what do you have in, once again, when I came to this stuff, I was like, whoa, why, why aren't we talking about this? So, and yet all of these different religious traditions, you have this focus on the spine about how it's, it's the one thing that, you know, makes us upright. The mm, cerebral spinal fluid is, you know, goes, yeah. goes up and down. And so therefore that cerebral spinal fluid, which is known as the chrism, right. By mm. esotericists literally goes up, travels through 33 bones. Yeah. So it's like, if you realize that, you know, the number 33 is not something to be feared, it's actually one of these key things to help you make all these connections. Then you get a better understanding why in the zeitgeist that we live in today, that a lot of these truthers eat up like crazy. Why 33 is like, Ooh, this evil thing. Stay away from that. Mm-hmm. Bad bullshit. It's supposed <laughs> to lead you to Christ. you know like so you know yeah i got you man um roman you got any more questions um i'm trying to just there's i i'm excited i'm excited about uh getting your book Uh, i'm gonna get a copy for myself probably one for my ma because i need to have that in the hands of her and her husband so they can um they can they can change their change their life and maybe uh start to understand things really like the ancient way that that it should be understood and so um i think i'm good man like we got some we covered some ground today i was gonna say i'm i gotta pee here so <laughs> yeah yeah you got a big old water bottle there yeah I, i've been dehydrated a little bit so yeah i like to end it on the 33 anyways because that's you know it's a good way that's- to go out yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thank you to, uh, so much for joining us today, Marty. Thank you and guys, uh, yeah, tell the people you. where they can find you at and what you got going on in the world. Uh, the site is GnosticAcademy.org. And on that site, you can get the Marty Lee's Mathematical Radio Hour, uh, the podcast I do now. And then there's um, documentaries, music, um, lectures. Uh, my bookshelf is there, tons and stuff. And it's five bucks a month. So, it's super cheap. It's essentially my life's work for five bucks a month. It's that's awesome, cheap. dude. I think no, it's super cheap because I want anybody that, you know, everybody has five, not everybody, but most people have five bucks that they can throw to do. And and the site is really dedicated to learning. It's not something you're just going to turn on and be like, oh, I'm just going to chill out. No, that's not what I'm doing. You know, it's gnosis, it's man. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's there to educate yourself and spend some time. You're going to, at some point, you know, in watching my videos, you're going to have to take a notebook out. It just is mm-hmm. what it is. So, and that's how you get to the sermons also sermons. Yeah. Live on, um, it's Gnostic, uh, the Gnostic church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ on, um, or Marty leads. You can find me on YouTube. That's every Sunday at nine central standard time. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Marty. We appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you. Uh, it was fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. It was a good one. Uh, yeah. fire tribe. Thanks for listening and wake, wake up. up.